Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, these dulcet tones are coming from Kenyon. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and from Lucy. And from Amanda. And from Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) And this week we have a very special fan pick brought to you by Shan Nelson. And you shan't forget it. Shanelson. Shanelson. Shan has selected the topic of DIY murders. Love it. (laughs) We talked about this in a very early episode, so I love this throwback. Yeah. Yeah. It was... A lot of this has been kind of bouncing around my head for several years. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie. Super interesting topic. Super difficult to research. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Turns out to find a case. Yeah. I don't know if you had that, Amanda. Uh, I didn't, but I went because I went with someone super famous who we haven't covered, but is like the OG of DIY crimes. Oh, okay. I had it. I love my case that I found, but... It was, this was a tough one. It was a mm-hmm. challenge, but one that we were very happy to accept. Absolutely. So basically, DIY murders, like we said, you know, where somebody creates their own murder weapon or it's like very unusual, you know, they, they, got, they got Home Depot involved mm-hmm. in the murder. Well, mm-hmm. Martha the Stewart crime. vibes. Mine yeah. is definitely DIY after the fact. Okay. (laughs) All right. Mm -hmm. Getting creative with those bods. Mm, Disposal. Mm. Also important. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's get right to it. Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for DIY murders? Well, I don't know about you folks, but (laughs) I work pretty hard from nine to five, Monday through Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Nine nine p.m. While drinking, and I save my hobbies and craft projects for the weekend. Oh, nothing like a Sunday Home Depot trip. Exactly, Dr. Phil. So that's why I have chosen Wink's Weekend Sparkling White, Mm. because most crafting is done as a weekend hobby. Mm. Mm -hmm. You're not wrong. Yeah, I'm not wrong. Uh, Wink has this to say about their sparkling white Some people save bubbly wines for special occasions, but with weekend, you don't have to. This Spanish white helps you celebrate every day. Made from organically grown (laughs) grapes sourced from La Mancha. This is a light, quaffable, queefable sparkler. My favorite. That I, shows queefing is also for the weekends. If it is. You know what? No, mm. queefing is for any time queefing happens. I'm queefing <laughs> for the weekend. Everybody's <laughs> queefing for the for weekend. The weekend. 
<laughs> it's a queefing weekend, baby. Oh, no, we can't. No, R. Kelly's canceled. Oh, right. Cannot. Oh, cannot. I forgot. No. I forgot that was R. Kelly. I separate the artist from the art. You know what I mean? Don't go there. <laughs> um, anyway, it shows a vibrant nose of tropical and yellow fruits and white flowers, much like the selection of fake flowers at Michael's Craft Goods. Mm-hmm. Ooh, <laughs> Absolutely. Silk. This plays well with others, pairing perfectly with everything from appetizers to spicy cuisine to main dishes. Transport yourself to your happy place and carpe any DM with weekend. <laughs> That's cute. I like well, that. I know. Well I like it too. It's super cute. So we're going to get... This should be obviously served chilled. We're going to get a little bit more of a fruit forward wine with a bit of a, of an earthy balance. It's light in body. It does have a nice dry finish. So even though you are getting some of that like lime zest, that white peach, it's not sweet. It finishes nice and dry. It's nice and lip smacking. And that's another thing that I really like about sparkling wines is that even if the base varietal, which is not listed here, airs on the sweeter side, just the process of generating that carbonation helps Mm. to balance out that sweetness, which I really like. It's a 13% ABV. And this is another one of those bottles where it's like, I think it's maybe a crack. It has Mm. like the beer bottle cap, like the... Oh, like the tab? Yeah. No, not a tab, like a... Like a bottle, like a little bottle. metal, like a little metal bottle cap that you would see on a on a glass beer bottle. Yeah. It's a crick. Yeah, I think it's a crick. A and cr- <laughs> if you uh, have a nice pop uh, wine key, that wine key also serves. <laughs> we'll get to it <laughs> to open this type of vessel bottle. A crick. Yeah, it's not just for corks; it's also for cricks. Mm-hmm. So shall we crick? Let's crick. Mm-hmm. I don't know Let's where crick. crick came from, but I'm oh. into it. Also, just a quick mention, this does come from Wink Wine Club, the online wine club that delivers wine direct to your door. So check out mm-hmm. trywink.com forward slash gals for 20 mm-hmm. bucks off your first order. One more time, that's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C.com forward slash gals for 20 bucks and off. And if you're quarantined in your home because of a certain global pandemic, you can mm-hmm. still get wine delivered. Mm. And I highly recommend it because this is rough stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's crick this bad boy open. Mm, crick it. <laughs> crick it. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, gentle nice babbling crick. Mm. Carpe that crick. Carpe this crick. Oh, All right. Let's one. get queefing. Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych for DIY murders? Oh, lots of psych for you. Okay, so I really wasn't sure where to go with this. So Mm -hmm. I just let my freak flag fly. Nice. And uh, I just came up with a little list here for starters. Sometimes a person needs to get creative with their murder weapons. Mm -hmm. And I found a list of some unique weapons for us to discuss. So, one could build a needle into the tip of an umbrella that injects mercury into the body of the victim when stabbed with it, as is what happened in Hanover, Germany in 2012. Mm. How much mercury? Wouldn't it take kind of a lot to kill them instantly? I don't think it killed them instantly. Mercury is pretty fucking lethal. 
Listen to S-Town. It's amazing. Yeah. But some people, like, I mean, people used to use mercury to, like, treat syphilis, and it killed them over five years, but... Well, this is injected into the body rather than just like inhaled or whatever happened in S-Town. Right, which doing that with anything can fuck you up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. One could strangle someone with a pair of sweatpants, as 61-year-old Florida man Jimmy Hackley did to 29-year-old Patricia Ann McCollum in 2006. Oh, my word. Rebecca Ann Lehman. Uh Uh-huh. Anything with some heft will work. E.g. a pickle jar, a bowling ball, a toilet tank lid, a cast iron skillet, an Xbox console, a banjo, Mm. or a fire extinguisher. Mm. Are these all confirmed things that you found on the internet? Sure are. Aim for the temple. In these cases, aim for the temple. Ouch. One could uh, use a nail gun, as is what happened to 27-year-old Chun Liu in 2008. His autopsy revealed 34 nails, mostly in his skull. No. Mm -hmm. In 2012, Bryant Willerson murdered William McLean with a floor lamp. Mm -hmm. Probably. I I like that one. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, you can really bludgeon someone to death with just about anything. Oh, absolutely. A fish. Oh. Oh. And then a microphone like, for podcasting. A, sta- oh. a stapler. A jar full of goat bones. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, there it is. I keep it on my <laughs> desk. <That> gentle little <laughs> shake. <laughs> I might bring it on tour with us. <laughs> yeah, you should. Um, but also, as I was kind of finding going through these items, a lot of them seem like weird, but also if you're beating someone... Okay, so for example... Um, a woman beat her child to death, which I would, I didn't uh. actually include this, but she started with a plastic spatula, uh. beat them with a spatula, and then the spatula broke, and then she ended up, like, stabbing with it. Yeah. So a lot of items are kind of like dual use. So like we said, you can really bludgeon someone to death with almost anything, but then, like, that could easily become, like, a stabbing sort of a situation. Mm. Also seems like more crimes of opportunity or at least like crimes of passion in the moment, you know, not premeditated. They're just reaching for whatever was at hand, mm. like a floor we lamp. We'll get to it. We will get okay. to it. One could use a corkscrew, as happened to 55-year-old Marat San Hilaire in 2008. Not so Hilaire. His family no. found him with the implement still embedded in his head. Blah. So I will take this time oh. to note you can head over to our online store, Wine and Crime Podcast at BigCartel.com. <laughs> <laughs> for and your very own Nike. Your murder weapon. <laughs> could be mm-hmm. used as self-defense. Great. And actually, Great. on that note, I bet you that we could creatively find a way to use every single item on our online store as a murder weapon. I'm sure we, we have could. sweatpants on our online store. Yeah. And a sweatshirt. Yeah. You could really bludgeon with that mug and the tumbler. Definitely. They're hefty. Mm-hmm. You could mm-hmm. stuff a mm-hmm. tank top in, down someone's throat, suffocate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easy. Easy peasy. One could also use one's mm-hmm. own prosthetic limb, oh. as did Deborah Hewitt in 2011, who stomped her boyfriend, Dwayne Ball, then removed her prosthetic leg, balanced on her good leg, and beat him to death with 
said prosthetic leg. I used to threaten to beat my dad with his own prosthetic leg all the time. <laughs> and it became just, a family joke. I'm just surprised they figured it out. Like, did she clean it and put it back on? Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't dive too we'll deep into that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. One could use their own voluminous tits, as we discussed in the boob crimes episode, to suffocate yep. their victim. Sure could. Like Even, that lady out of Washington State. Yeah, Lang, no relation. No relation. Oh, maybe relation. <laughs> you do have voluminous tits, though. I do. Voluminous. Voluminous. Mm-hmm. Pillowy. Mm. God, I'm so excited to see you. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I just she says to the other tit. Pillowy bosom. <laughs> we do fit together really well. We do. <laughs> Our chins. Okay. Even a very innocuous item can cause death. So Richard Clare was trying to rob Timothy McGee when he struck him with a dessert spoon on the back of his head with such force that it ruptured an artery and caused Timothy to bleed to death. Wow. Yeah. With a dessert spoon. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he hit him just right at, on the back, like the bottom back of, of uh, Timothy's head so that an artery burst between um, like his skull and his skin. So was he not even trying to kill him? He was just trying to annoy him and he ended up killing him? No, he's trying to rob him. So Timothy, mm. it should be noted that Timothy uh, used a wheelchair I believe he used a wheelchair. So he was just trying to defend himself in whatever way he could. So Richard, the perpetrator, apparently used a dessert spoon to uh, hit him. That is wild. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. Uh, One could stab a cat collar in the face with one's high-heeled shoe that one may be wearing strictly for one's own personal edification and enjoyment and not to impress random men on the street. Correct. As is clothing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So this quote is straight from a Ranker article. I just really liked the way that it was worded, so... In 1988, a man with the most English name ever, Reginald Hemsley Doddingdale. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) New drag name, I call it. (laughs) Wow. So Reginald had perished and he was found with a massive lump on the back of his head. And it's believed that he was slain by someone wielding a piece of pumpernickel bread which was lying near the body. An investigator from Scotland Yard was quoted as saying, worst case of pumpernickling I've ever seen. Oh my God. I'm using pumpernickling as a verb forever now. What? It must have been real stale. Is this the best episode of Midsummer Murders ever? Maybe. Oh, wow. Oh, that's good. Yeah. One could stab or beat someone with a crucifix and throw off investigators by suggesting a religious or ritualistic motive. Red herring. Mm. For sure. One could choke someone with one's own sock and then put it back on and just sashay away without leaving the murder weapon behind. Mm. I like that. One could like an icicle. 
Yeah. Yeah, the icicle thing. Or the uh, frozen ham. Mm-hmm. And then she like cooks it for the investigators and they just eat the evidence. None mm-hmm. the wiser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One could tap into their musical side and use a string from a guitar, piano, violin, etc., to asphyxiate one's victim. That like that t- made-for-TV movie that we saw as kids, mm. Lucy. Do Keyboard you killer. Keyboard, Keyboard killer. killer. Keyboard killer. Yeah, no. it was terrifying. Oh, oh my, my god. god! It scared yeah. the bejesus out of us as kids. Yeah, Scott is still scarred. I think. Mm-hmm. Mention keyboard killer to Scott and watch him just tense up. Yeah. And banshees. Yeah. Scott and hates banshees. banshees. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And banjos. It combines his uh, two least favorite things. He hates banjos? Strings. Oh, the strings. String. Killing someone with a string. Mm-hmm. And banch. She's banjo. It was a joke. It wasn't a, a good piano one. banch. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> one could use exercise equipment since exercising is deadly, like a dumbbell <clears throat> or the steel mm-hmm. bar from a lat pull-down machine, whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> As Kenneth Osako did to fatally beat a man in the head at a San Francisco Bally Total Fitness. No. <laughs> Not at Bally. Leave Bally alone. Bally, no. <laughs> Okay, so those are just some ideas to get the juices flowing. And mm-hmm. uh, I got a little bit of psych here for us. This is all from a 2017 study, but I thought it was really uh, thorough and interesting. And it's not necessarily surprising, but we have some solid facts from which to discuss the rest, the your two cases uh, later on. Cool. Great. So a 2017 study looked at 71 incarcerated male murderers, that that is men who murder, not people Mm -hmm. who murder men, from 11 different institutions within peninsular Malaysia. Peninsular Mm -hmm. Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The men were given several self-guided questionnaires to determine specific psych markers and how they might correlate with weapons used and also how those weapons were used and just like the general details about the weapons. So, this is from the study. Different types of weapons have been recognized in both murder and culpable homicide through a large body of violence-related literature. Reviewing the available literature, I'm just warning you right now, this is very dry. This is from the study. Mm-hmm. The typical classification includes unarmed, which would be like hands, feet, fists, like your body. You're, you're not definitely, yeah, boob, tits. Mm-hmm. Uh, blunt objects sharp objects, and firearms. So examples... I like that classification. Oh, it gets a little more specific here too. Examples okay. of sharp objects include items ranging from actual knives to machetes, sickles, chainsaws, ice picks, and broken bottles. In the Malaysian context, murder weapons are categorized mainly into one of 10 types. The 10 categories are blunt weapons, knives, machetes, firearms, fire slash acid, mm. sharp weapons. Where would that fall? Well, that's just a category. These are just the categories. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Sharp weapons other than knives and machetes, ligatures, physical force, vehicles, and then unidentified, potpourri. 
<laughs> nice. Okay. The the reason for separating knives and machetes from sharp objects is mainly due to the higher prevalence of these weapons in crimes. So mm-hmm. like they're just separating knives and machetes from things like broken bottles. Yeah, because again, could be an issue of premeditation. Like if you're bringing a knife to something, there's more intention than if you're like in a struggle and break a bottle and use it. Right, reach for the nearest thing and it happens to be a glass bottle. Happens to be sharp, like a Mm ballpoint pen or whatever. Exactly, Jack. A pair of sweatpants. Mm Mm-hmm. From the criminological point of view, the usage of weapons in murder tends to be the result of several factors. One of the most established factors is the availability of that particular weapon. For instance, murder using firearms is more frequent in countries where firearms are easy to obtain legally, such as the United fucking States, compared to literally every other single country. What a shocking statistic. Yeah. Weird. In contrast, in countries with more stringent laws on firearm ownership, such as Malaysia, where this study is taking place, other murder weapons, especially sharp objects, are more common. Mm -hmm. Blunt. A lot more knife crime. mm -hmm. Blunt and sharp objects are the most common weapons which result in stabbing and cutting injuries in New Zealand. In Finland, the knife is the preferred murder weapon among drunken men with a history of violent crime. <laughs> oh, geez, God. Everyone's just specific. got a knife in their boot. Yeah. <laughs> There's a knife in my boot. <laughs> <laughs> with regards to epi- epidemiological profiles of murder weapon usage in Malaysia, a national retrospective study by Mohammed Rahim et al. indicated sharp objects as the most commonly used weapon, and only 10.6% of Malaysian homicide incidents involved firearms. Mm. Imagine where we would be as a nation if only 10% of homicides in- involved firearms. Wouldn't right. that be I nice? see how many that currently. What? It's probably like I'm 98%. Other than sharp objects, blunt objects also seem to be commonly used in Malaysia. From another angle, the choice of weapon has said to be associated with the motive of the murder. So given the characterization of expressive motivation as impulsivity and volatile emotions, weapons that are more likely to be used uh, are predicted to be non-gun weapons, such as blunt objects or bare hands, indicating a more spontaneous action, like we just were talking about. According to Wikipedia, 67% of homicides in the U.S. involve a firearm. That seems really low. (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot, Compared but it seems 10%, low. Compared to 10%, 67%? Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems low as an American living in the United States hearing about gun violence day in and day out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just what I just read, kind of what we were talking about, uh, if the weapon used was not a gun, then it indicates a more spontaneous action, possibly like a crime of passion sort of a situation. Got it. When the killing serves as an instrumental goal, premeditated weapons like guns and machetes are usually brought to the murder scene. Other factors that have been associated with choice of weapon include murderous relation, gender, and context of murder. Mm, I can see that. uh Uh-huh. 
Also relevant to this study are previous studies focusing on abnormal perpetrators of murder. An empirical study among Scottish offenders supported the relationship between psychopathy and weapon usage. So mental disorders such as delusional disorder and depression were also found to be predictive in the choice of weapon, especially when the disorder is characterized by non-bizarre delusion and no depatterning behavior. Researchers... What does that mean? Like, what are people more likely to use? What what do they choose? Well, I, I'll get to it. Researchers reported a strong correlation between delusional disorder and the use of sharp instruments with high numbers of strikes and blows, mostly targeted at a vital zone. For example, psychotic offenders were found to use sharp weapons more frequently since these objects were available at the particular moment of killing, and also Ah. they had immediate visceral effects with most injuries inflicted onto the face of the victim. Wow. That is intense. Yeah. So... And again, and with depressive disorder, it was more just like napping to death. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how mine that's how manifests. A lot of yeah. net, a lot yeah. of Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So I know we say this all the time, but obviously, I admit it's not my intention to correlate mental health disorders mm-hmm. with violence. But among people who have already committed homicidal violence. Those people who and have mental disorders, disorders. This, this, is, right. this is where we're at. Got it. So in conclusion, the study found, quote, several psychological markers that are likely to influence the number and type of weapons used by murderers. Most not- notably, individuals with high aggression markers tend to use multiple weapons. And physical aggression seem to be most associated, uh, so- seem to be, most associated psychological marker that influences the respondents to carry the weapon to the murder scene. I think I'm missing a word there. Hold on. The, I think, the most associated. Uh, Physical aggression seems to be the most associated marker that influences a person to bring the weapon to the murder scene. So if somebody already has been physically aggressive, they're more likely to carry a weapon with them to commit the, the crime. Correct. Yep. Rather yeah, than that reach makes sense. for the, the closest gun, the gun. thing. Oh, yes, the gun. The gun. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yep. So nearly 90.1% of the respondents used a single weapon, and then the remaining used multiple weapons. Knives at 26.8% seem to be the most preferred weapon. Use of blunt weapons and machetes... Um, were noted uh, at about a little under 20%. And then um, 18% of respondents... Oh, sorry. Blunt weapons were under 20%, and then uh, machetes were about 18%. But keep in Mm -hmm. mind, Malaysia, they don't have easy access to firearms like we do, so... And they probably have a lot more machetes. Yeah. Like, the the simple fact that they include machetes in, like... (laughs) Study is standalone. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and the fact that it is its own category, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Usage of other weapons such as firearms, ligatures, or fire was relatively uncommon in this study. 
in the majority of mur- of these murder cases, which was around 45%, weapons were brought along by the respondents to a crime scene. This compares to around 42% of murderers who obtain a weapon that was readily available at the scene of the crime. So when we first started talking about this topic, and this was a long time, this was before we started the podcast, it was on our mm-hmm. list of... Original ideas, right. yeah. Uh, we had talked at one time about like how likely is it that someone is going to like break into your home to murder you and then use something that you have in your own home against you. So yeah, evidently, not very likely if their plan is to actually murder you, not very likely. Yeah, well, apparently in Malaysia, among this group of murderers, it's about forty-two percent. <laughs> wow. So yeah. and that's confirmed that they had the intention of no. murdering that person and isn't just like a robbery gone wrong. That's my question. Not necessarily. No. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't know that. So because I think that most people do not intend to murder mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. find themselves in circumstances that are escalating beyond their control. And this does not mm-hmm. condone or forgive, but then things go too far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they use the resources they have available to then finish the job. I also think that people probably don't realize, like, the damage that, like, one big blow with a blunt object. With a dessert spoon. Yeah, like, I mean, we're so used to seeing movies where, like, you know, Jason Bourne is, like, getting hit over the head with, like, a, you know, toilet cover lid and, like, heavy Uh shit and is just, like, keeps fighting but that's, yeah, that's not, not really reality. the case. Like you could I, get whacked with one of those things one time at the right angle and you're done. Mm-hmm. I think it also kind of works both ways because we're also used to seeing movies where like someone gets shot, boom, and they fall down and they're dead. Like that's also not how that works. So it is yeah, both very difficult to out. kill a person and also very easy to kill a person. Um. Mm-hmm. So uh, now, obviously, this is not the the most ideal study to cite for this uh, specific topic, but I couldn't find one that took place in the United States that had this sort of uh, data breakdown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, regardless, it's interesting to know that. I mean, what you, the the stat that Kenyon just pulled up the sixty whatever percent of firearm mm-hmm. homicides in the United States compared to like what ten percent in Malaysia, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with human psychology. That has to do with the availability of firearms. Hundred percent. Also, there are like way more acid attacks against women and girls, in particular, in like certain parts of the world, mm-hmm. whereas it's pretty uncommon in the U.S. And also I would say like strangulation with one's hands is incredibly common as a, you know, part of homicide in the domestic violence, intimate partner violence Agreed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. which those cases aren't (laughs) punished as widely as like other types of murders. And so this is a study of male murderers in prison. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're already pre-selecting who who your population is for this study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like 
it would be very, very difficult to come up with a study that is more accurately depicting the kind of stats that we are talking about. Just because, I mean, like one reason would be that intimate partner violence, A, does not mm-hmm. get punished at a high enough rate, and B, mm-hmm. could very well not be classified right. mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, big studies. I mean, this is a very big study, and I think it would be really hard to do in the United States. Yeah. Uh, do you know what I mean? Because this. Yep. I well, mean, there's so many different police departments, and they're not all sharing data. So, yeah, we just don't have the, the numbers. But this is interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's interesting. And like I said, nothing, none of it's like super surprising. And again, we're taking this from a Malaysian peninsular context, but. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, 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 mm-hmm. sure, sure, sure. But uh, yeah, so. It's still relevant. That's my segment. And uh, we will, we will Sweet revisit dreams. it. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll revisit it for peninsular Malaysian crimes. Yes, yep. I can't. Here she I comes. count down the days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Care of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. Yes. Tell us more, Kenyon. You guys know that I am obsessed with vitamins and supplements, uh, especially now when, you know, we're all kind of hunkered down. It is more important than ever to make sure that your body is getting the nutrients that it needs. And Care Of can make taking your vitamins and supporting your health goals really attainable because those vitamins and supplements are delivered right to your door. It is hassle-free. Um, And Care Of is also really focused on the quality and the science and the research that goes into each of their products and recommendations. Mm -hmm. Um, They also make it really easy to know what you personally should be taking based on your diet, your health goals, your lifestyle, because they have this really fun short online quiz. We know, we love a good quiz. Love a good quiz. Lo- and this is a good quiz. It's a real good quiz. And then Care Of supplies you a recommended list of vitamins and supplements that are specifically designed for you and your health needs and your goals. So we know that the vitamin aisle can be really confusing. Um, it's hard to know kind of what you need, where to start, especially as maybe your lifestyle changes. So if, Mm -hmm. you know, if you become pregnant or if you become vegetarian or... What you need right now in the current situation might be different from what you needed two months ago. Yeah, maybe you're not getting enough vitamin D anymore. Mm -hmm. Like there's... Or enough sleep. Yeah, there's a lot out there um, to think about and care of makes it really easy to know that you are getting what you need and I absolutely love it. It's amazing and for 50% off your first care of order go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50. That's for 50% off your first care of order. Just go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50 and treat your body. Treat it. So, Third Love does bras differently. They believe that every person deserves to feel comfortable and confident every day. Hello, even Mm -hmm. if you're not leaving your house Mm -hmm. by, like, authority of law. Um, And with the right kind of support, see what they did there? (laughs) They can help you do this. Yes. uh, Mm -hmm. You guys know that I... 
was not previously a big bra fan. Not a bra enthusiast. Not a bra enthusiast until I discovered Third Love, and I have replaced every single one of my bras with Third Love bras because... It's true. They are hands down the most comfortable bra that you will ever own. The Mm -hmm. straps don't slip. The labels are tagless, so there's no itching. They don't, like, Mm -hmm. dig into your upper love handles. I don't know what you call that. Yep. Yep. yep, your 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 sweet flaps. Yeah, <laughs> your body. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're also really lightweight with super thin memory foam cups that mold to mm-hmm. your shape. So I have found myself even you know working from home, being at home most days. If I you know feel like I want a little extra support, I'll put on a bra and not leave yeah. my house. Oh, why it's, not? They're comfortable. They're comfortable. They they make you feel better. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I also love that Third Love gives back because Third Love donates all of their gently used returned bras to folks in need and support charities uh, in their local San Francisco Bay Area and also across the United States. And so far, Third Love has donated over $15 million worth of bras. That's incredible. So good. I love that so much. And Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash gals right now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash gals for 15% off today. Treat you your front. <laughs> Treat it. <laughs> this case, again, really dark. Yay! <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sure it's to like, thine coal. <laughs> to thine coal. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm fitting into a stereotype of myself, but it's fine. Um, okay. Is it a stereotype so, if it's a thousand percent accurate? If it's just I a don't fact? No. <laughs> and it's just about one person? I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. 22-year-old Lindsay Cutchell was born in Fresno, Ohio. Oh, bait and switch. (laughs) And her boyfriend, 26-year-old Jason Allen, hailed from exotic Michigan. Ooh. Hell, Michigan. Go mittens. (laughs) Religious faith was very important in both of their lives. Um, I couldn't figure out exactly which sect of Christianity that they belonged to, but it was something along the lines of like fundamentalist or maybe Baptist, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Okay. They were both deeply devout Christians and they both wanted to go into ministry for their careers. In fact, they'd met in 2002 when Lindsay was attending West Virginia's Appalachian Bible College, which was my safety. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Can you imagine? I would be so confused. Kenyon came into a... You came to like a lock-in at my church one time you know how like they give lock-ins for kids to like keep them away from drugs Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. it was really Mm -hmm. fun but there were some very bizarre like role-playing reenactments about like god and Kenyon was like what the fuck have you gotten me into (laughs) 
I was like, leave me out of this. When do we go bowling? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When can I flirt with the boys? Because I am not digging this. Yeah, uh, and I'm not making fun of West Virginia's Appalachian Bible College. I just, it's just, I would, I would you, be the worst. You just grew up ever. super fucking non-religious. Yeah, not an ounce of religion in that household. Correct. It was just confusing. So all students at ABC dual major, and they have one focus on Bible and theology, and the other is of their choosing, but from a limited list of like ministry related topics. So you could or, or like double being major. A wife. <laughs> <laughs> Wifery. Mm-hmm. Um, no, like literally it's like Bible and theology and youth ministry or Bible and theology. And I can't even come up with another one, but yeah. <laughs> Accounting. <laughs> Easter. I don't know. Easter. So. <laughs> Easterology. <laughs> so just six weeks after they first met, the couple became engaged. At the time of this case, their wedding was just a few weeks away. So it was already planned. Lindsay had her wedding dress. They were all set. Yikes. The summer after getting engaged, the couple started working as camp counselors at a Christian summer camp in California, the Rockin' Water, which was northeast of Sacramento. One weekend in mid-August, they had the weekend off and decided to take a road trip up the Sonoma coast in Lindsay's 10-year-old Ford Tempo. Nice. Stopping first in San Francisco and posing for photos at tourist spots like the Fisherman's Wharf and the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, doing all that, all that jazz. And then they drove north. And all those photos of them, like, posing are, like, on Lindsay's camera that they would later find. Mm, these ones on the drive? Yeah. Oh, they're cute. Yeah. Jason had some interesting facial hair choices, but they were definitely in love. They just mm-hmm. seemed like good people, and they were in love. Oh, they're cute. But on just the second day of their trip, tragedy struck. On Saturday, August 14th, 2004, Lindsay and Jason reached Jenner, California, which is a small town. They inquired about renting a motel room, but the inn was full. No. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And there wasn't a barn or a manger. So instead, <laughs> the outdoorsy couple decided to lay out their sleeping bags for the night on nearby Fishhead Beach. Oh, God. Ugh. Okay. Camping on the beach is technically prohibited, but a lot of folks do it. And it's an absolutely stunning spot. So, like, they weren't really supposed to sleep there, but they were only going to sleep there for the night, and it was a last resort, and other people have done it. So, like, whatever. Beforehand, though, both uh, left happy and inspired messages in the beach's visitor's log. So this is really heartbreaking. Jason wrote, quote, As I stir this mac and cheese, I think to myself, what a wonderful life. Oh Why my are you God, stirring I mac and cheese while writing in a notebook? Lucy. I think they were setting up camp and he's there was a visitor's dinner. log. Yeah. And he's being cute and they're young and in love. I guess. Um, Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. You he continued, are the worst. 
Oh, I guess. I also love mac and also, cheese. I'd kill for mac and cheese right now. Hey, maybe that's I what happened. Too. There's the motive. We have motive, people. Let's get me. <laughs> yeah, it was me. I was hungry. Yeah. <laughs> also, to my husband's horror, he realized, that, and I realized, that I had never made a grilled cheese before until How? the other night. You've never made one or have you never had one? I'd never made one. Equally weird. I don't know how. I just just never had. How do you get to the age of 32 without having made a grilled cheese? I don't know. I've made like cheese paninis. Like for for like a semester in college, I lived off of like slices of cheese and sliced apple paninis in like a George Foreman press. Like I've made that type of shit, but I guess I'd never made a grilled cheese. And we were like a little bit drunk and got home from a a party and we were both hungry. And he was like, make, make a grilled cheese. I was like, okay. And I just took like a slice of white bread and like put cheese on like shredded cheese on top of it and put it in the toaster oven. What? And then it came out, <laughs> and, and he was like so horrified. You're and a he was monster. Like, That's, I did. I just no no I pan know. with butter and only one piece no. of bread and shredded he, cheese. You're sick. He, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just. I guess I just never, I don't know. I guess I just never made it before because he, as it was in the toaster oven, he said something about like, did you melt butter? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I think it would be best if you left. I think we should just move on to Amanda's <laughs> right case. Right now. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I can't hear dumb. your voice anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we need I'm, to take a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had also never made mac and cheese until I was like 18 no, and nanny. No, stop. Okay, we can't do this anymore. I'm done. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, this is getting out of hand. Okay. <laughs> this really is a f- okay. scary episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is the so, most hor- can- tragic episode we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> so he continued to write, quote, I've just spent two awesome days with my fiance, Lindsay. Can life ever be so perfect? Only with a person who is so great. God gives me this privilege in life, and he has given me a wonderful woman to enjoy it. Aww. Mm. And Lindsay wrote, no, he's he's good. He checks out. Mm Mm-hmm. Lindsay wrote, quote, the sun is going down in the horizon. All I see is the beams shining on the cliff face. And I know that God is awesome. I look around and I see his creation all around me. Aw. That's cute. Also, we should do a Kenyan's life experiences crimes episode. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? How have you lived to be 32 crimes? (laughs) We've got two already. (laughs) <laughs> i i've i don't know i don't uh, i just didn't eat that growing I'm up upset. all right let's get back to this horrific murder <laughs> god distract me so that <laughs> so that's a saturday okay the next day Lindsay's parents grew worried when they didn't get a phone call from their daughter because she called home every sunday without fail and they don't get a call Mm-hmm. And then the camp notified their families when neither showed up for work on the Monday. 
Mm, that's not good. The Cutchels notified the police, and both Lindsay and Jason officially became missing persons. On the following Wednesday, an unrelated emergency call was placed for a man that was stranded on the cliff at Fishhead Beach. I think he'd been hiking or climbing and, and got stranded and, and needed mm-hmm. help. And while responding to that call, a sheriff's helicopter noticed two inert bodies in blood-stained sleeping bags no. lying on the beach. Jesus. Oh, my God. Ugh. Lindsay and Jason had each died from a single 45 caliber gunshot wound to the head, which was fired at close range. Not point blank, but close. Right. Both were still fully clothed and appeared to have been sleeping peacefully at the moment of their deaths. That's good. Their Bible was still laying beside them in the sand. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Joe. Literally. Jesus, Joe. God. Investigators quickly ruled out murder-suicide. Not only was there no motive, but the forensic evidence clearly pointed to a third-party killer. But robbery was also ruled out as a motive because all of their belongings, including Lindsay's car and jewelry, were left behind. And, like, they didn't have much, but, like, what they had was not taken. Right. Lindsay's father later summed up the murders, quote, It was just absolutely senseless. They were two innocent people with no enemies having an enjoyable weekend together before their marriage. Oh, sweet babies. Police launched an an exhaustive investigation. They interviewed, like, everyone in that small town. And they initially entertained the theory that a hitchhiker or maybe a drifter might be the culprit because a lot of um, hitchhikers and, and... quote-unquote drifters do sleep on that beach sure, and might have come across them. And it's just north of San Francisco and, like, yeah. There's a lot of backpacker types around that area. Yeah, I mean, it's quite, it's like, it's like 75 miles north of San Francisco, but yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a beach, it's a beautiful area, so people are just, like, hiking around. Yeah. Being Californian. What um, year is this? Like 2002-ish? Oh, 2004. 2004. Gotcha. Yeah. But then, a few days later, a man dressed head to toe in a camouflage jumpsuit and wandering another local beach with a loaded, and as it would later turn out, stolen gun, was arrested. I don't like that. The man, Sean Michael Gallen, was a self-described survivalist with a long and bizarre criminal record. Great. So he's Dwight Schrute, but but Mm -hmm. evil. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. He's Dwight Schrute. Dwight Schrute. (laughs) 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 He'd been arrested over a dozen times. And had convictions for everything from illegally poaching, I don't know how to say this, abalone? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Fish with, with a shell, uh-huh. a pretty mm-hmm. shell. Pretty shells. To shooting a man with a bow and arrow. Weird and gross. Fatally? Mm-hmm. He is dwarf. We'll get to oh, it. God. Oh, great. He's, he's, he's dwarf shrut. Dwart Trout. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> Get it right, even though I'm not entirely sure that's, that's exactly I don't how think I that's said exactly it before. Said, but that's fine. No. Dwart <laughs> no. Trout it is. 
One family friend reported that Gallen had once, quote, cruelly harpooned a seal. That doesn't sound had legal shot, either. Nope. And had shot a calf. Okay. Which, like, the animal definitely or the did body not belong part? to him. Uh, animal. <laughs> <laughs> not good. Animal. Yeah. He thinks he thinks he's like out there surviving in the world, but like actually, Bet you live he in lives, California. Yeah, he lives with his mom in California in a house. That's so annoying. He also regularly posted unintelligible and conspiracy fueled rants on Facebook, of course, some of which included rape threats. He's a flat and earther. Also, a lot of like. Yeah, a lot of, like, fantasy stuff, but, like, taken too dark. A lot of, like, Game of Thronesy type shit. And but blaming evil. women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Classic. That guy. He's that guy. He is that. We all know. Who, yeah, we get it. Yeah. According to family members, Sean Gallen had serious mental issues after uh, having taken, quote, too large a dose of LSD back in 2001, and after which he was never the same again. I... Like, I don't... (laughs) I, like, LSD is very powerful, so I don't Mm -hmm. doubt that it can permanently fuck up your brain, Mm-hmm. But I also have to think that there must have been underlying issues in order for it to. Mm-hmm. I don't think it LSD is inherently gonna fuck you up in like a ne- this negative, violent way. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I completely agree. So my next line is: However, it's more likely that Gallen already had symptoms of mental health disturbances, oh, including paranoia, before the LSD incident. But yeah, the LSD definitely didn't help if you already have mental health problems and paranoia. Yeah, because there are a lot of studies that show that use of LSD in certain cases actually alleviate a lot of s- depression and other kind of symptoms. So Yeah, I've seen those studies too. It's curious for sure. I just think it varies so much on the person and their oh, yeah. brain chemistry Absolutely. and also the dosage. Yeah. I read an article yeah. recently about yeah. a woman who accidentally ingested like fu- like a fucking thousand doses of LSD or something absolutely crazy. And like mm-hmm. she had a real tough time going through it. But when she came out, like she had like foot pain that she'd had her whole life that was gone. She could like sleep Just better. She rewired her brain she entirely, was, she probably. Was like, she was like a new woman. So, yeah, I yeah, think it's obviously results vary, but. And there's all kinds of like interesting stuff out now about microdosing and like we're not Joe Rogan, so we're not going to fucking go there. But like, no. yeah, there's a lot. There's also no way but to know. If you're already a paranoid live at home with your mommy survivalist, maybe don't take a massive dose of LSD. Yeah. Would be my advice. Okay. So, unsurprisingly, Sean Michael Gallen had been on the county police department's radar for a while. And with this new weapons charge, they were easily able to obtain a warrant to search his home. There, they found a bunch of bizarre shit. 
Notably, lots of dead animals just kind of scattered around, tucked oh in corners. Okay. That's nice. I so there love were, it so far. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spooky little bitch. <laughs> Bits of You're describing up sh- my apartment so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. None of it was taxidermied. Oh, or they're tasteful. just carcasses? Yeah. It's okay, just, never mind. <laughs> they're yeah. just dead animals. Yeah. So, like, bits of chopped up shark in the fridge that he definitely was not allowed to kill. Um, A dead hawk in the freezer and a wild turkey was, like, stuffed in the trash bin. So he wasn't even, like, eating this stuff. He was just hoarding it. He was just, he was just a weirdo. Investigators also found a, quote, five-gallon tub filled with matchsticks, bullets, Foot-long sections of lead pipe, fuse cords for explosives, clumps of hair, and copious amounts of blood. Uh, I mean, I was following that as a recipe for a bomb until we got to hair mm-hmm. and blood. Yeah. You lost yeah. me at uh, hair and blood. Uh, for a while, it just sounds like a survivalist <laughs> is is stocking up on weapons. Yeah. And then you add clumps of hair and blood. Mm-hmm. Okay. There was a plethora of weapons, many of which were DIY, like a homemade spear, probably what he used to harpoon the seal and shark, I'm guessing. And some weapons were buried in the backyard. Cool. But they did not find the rare 45 caliber Marlin rifle, which was the murder weapon. So they don't have mm. the murder weapon for Lindsay and Jason. They're like, fuck, this guy's weird as shit, but we don't have the murder weapon. Gallen refused to take a polygraph. And despite their suspicions, investigators had to let him go. So like he got the, the weapons charge for the stolen gun, but that's it. No other arrests were made in the, in the murder case, and the case grew cold. In 2009, a drifter who'd been a suspect in another murder of a couple in British Columbia died in a shootout, and hmm. then post-mortem, his DNA was conclusively linked to that murder of the, of the couple in Canada, in British Columbia. Okay. And it was a couple, and I think they were in sleeping bags, and they weren't married yet. So the police were theorizing that maybe it was a serial killer who, like, had a thing against unmarried uh, couples sleeping near each other. On a beach oh, in God sleeping sakes. bags. That's a reach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But no DNA link was found with Lindsay and Jason's crime scene. And so that was another dead end and another red herring. But finally, in 2017... Some 13 years after the senseless double homicide, the cop's original suspect, Sean Michael Gallen, with the five-gallon tub, was arrested for murdering his own brother, Seamus, with an AR-15. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. The brothers lived together along with their mother. They'd been partially homeschooled and were fairly isolated, like, throughout childhood and adulthood. A social worker was once called to the home and noted their poor living conditions and hygiene. And also their mom, like, did not let the social worker in the house. So, like, Mm. things aren't going great. Not good. There was no motive in the case of of Sean killing Seamus uh, besides perhaps a grudge from childhood. So 
So apparently one of them had punched the other as a kid and they just like never let it go. Well, I mean, Ashley, I know you're listening. <laughs> it could just come out of nowhere. What did Nobody she do could to you? see it coming. <laughs> I could snap. I could snap. Yeah. Haven't you already? You're right. It could just be a quote burst of violence without provocation. Mm, color me snapped. Color me snapped. But for years, Gallon's father had expressed concerns that Sean would hurt his younger brother Seamus. So their dad was like, "Sean's gonna fucking kill Seamus. Like, let's be on top of this." And then just like nothing was done about it. In fact, it appears that Gallon's father also had reason to suspect his son for Lindsay and Jason's murders back in 2004. Oh, jeez. After Sean's, yeah, after Sean's arrest for the weapons charge on, the, on that day on the beach, Sean managed to phone his father. And I don't know how, because like his phone call must have been monitored, but like he must have somehow communicated in such a way that it like went under the radar to his father but he got his father to get rid of some of the weapons in the home for him, including the 45 caliber uh, Marlin rifle. And we and the father only comes forward about this all these years later. The father doesn't even like fully come forward. We'll get to it. I don't think he ever went to the police. I don't know how they figured this out. I think there must have he must have written something down or told someone at the time. Okay. Gallon's father then completed suicide in 2013. Oh, for fuck's sake. No. He died by suicide. Is how we should yes. say it. Oh, you can't say I, I thought, thought completed, completed suicide was- is still acceptable. Mm, I don't think so. He died by suicide. I know suicide. that committed, committed suicide is no longer how you should approach mm-hmm. that. But completed, I think, is fine. You say what you want, but then you can answer the emails. I play it safe and say died by suicide. So Gallon's father died by suicide in 2013, which I read in one report was right after showing his son a flyer about the unsolved beach murders and like asking him directly about them. Hmm. And while in custody for that crime, for the crime of killing Seamus, Sean Gallen confessed to multiple other crimes. Oh, Lord. The police already knew that in 2009, he'd been convicted for assault with a deadly weapon after shooting a stranger with a homemade bow and arrow from his balcony. Mm-hmm. Like literally a passerby. Jesus Christ. Jesus, Joe. But now, Gallen also confessed to attempted murder of a man that he'd once gotten into a kerfuffle with at a bar and he attempted that murder by planting a homemade package bomb made from an old grenade wow in a gift box that he set atop the man's car Ugh. it's never and then a the gift. man did <laughs> yeah and the man didn't find it his poor wife did no and she she was maimed oh my Jeez. god in the explosion oh my god and not like it would have been fine if he was hurt, but like... It's still worse, the one that yeah. doesn't even go to the target. She didn't even get right. in the bar fight. It was her husband. Yeah. And possibly also, this there was, there was only like one report and it wasn't very clear, but he might have also like 
been involved in a racially motivated shooting at a passing motorist. Like he might have shot at at like someone who appeared to be quote Mexican. Oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah, it's like that woman and, in Des Moines who hit those two children with her fucking jeep a few months ago, and her stated reasoning is because the girl looked the girl was Mexican, and her other victim was a fuck? was a black child. Oh my god, I didn't hear Fuck about that. that. Oh, you definitely did. I'll send you the link. It's just disgusting. I hope she dies in jail. So then Sean also confesses uh, to murdering Lindsay and Jason that day in August 2004. He said that he'd simply been walking by the beach, doing his patrols, drinking heavily when he spotted the couple sleeping there, thinking they were homeless, he became inexplicably furious that they were illegally camping on the beach, even though he's fucking breaking the law by patrolling the beach with a stolen rifle, but fine. Yeah. yeah what the he's fuck? He's essentially homeless sleeping on the beach. Are you fucking kidding? Mm-hmm. Major, um, what's the guy that murdered? Who's the guy that murdered Trayvon Martin? Oh, yeah, that George, asshole. George. Zimmerman George or whatever his name is. Zimmerman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Major George Zimmerman vibes Absolutely. off this guy. Ugh. So he decided to, quote, kill them out of spite because he thought they were homeless. To prove his involvement in the murders, Gallen directed police to an empty pop can that he'd filled with shell casings and hid in blackberry bushes in a neighboring town. And I think they were able to actually recover that pop can. It was still in the bushes all these years later. Wow. And and it had the shell casings in it, and they were able to corroborate that they were That's why you should the never weapon. pick up trash in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Make sure there aren't shell casings on anything. And if it's cigarette butts, document everything. So many cigarette butts. (laughs) Take a swab of every cigarette butt you pick up. Yeah. (laughs) Ish. It's the healthiest thing to do. (laughs) Sean Michael Gallen pled no contest, which therefore waived all rights to an appeal to the three murders, so Lindsay and Jason, as well as his own brother, Seamus. And in July 2019, he received three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. He was also sentenced to an additional 94 years in prison for the other crimes that he confessed to. So he's never getting out, thank God. It's like the only silver lining of this. Lindsay's mother brought her daughter's never-worn wedding dress to the sentencing. Ooh. Ooh, wow. That hit me right in the gut. I mean, good on her. This motherfucker should see that kind of shit, but that is... Mm -hmm. It probably did not affect him, though. He's got a lot of mental issues going on. Yeah, he's not seeing reality. I went to a... The Cutchels also... I went to a funeral once at the girl who died was buried in her wedding dress and that was fucking awful yeah so hard uh, I, I I get it why why one's grief would manifest like that I do not want to be buried in my wedding dress Just well she hadn't be been buried. she hadn't been married yet it was like her well, aspirational right. wedding dress but still yeah it's it, 
to each their own, but also just like the mm-hmm. the visual of seeing her in her casket and her wedding dress, and I'm sure the mm-hmm. visual of seeing the mother in the courtroom with her wedding dress is just like so hard. It just brings another mm-hmm. level, and it's a physical item that you can see and touch. And it's just right. like, oh my god, right? It's heartbreaking. And yeah, all the- that you stole from this person yeah. in that moment, exactly. I yeah, want they were my visitation. So young. I want to be in the meat dress that Lady Gaga wore to the Grammys that one time. Uh, I thought you want to be like sitting up with your Cheetos and your Harry Potter stuff. I do. I also want extreme embalming, but I want to be in the meat dress. I want everyone to turn off the air conditioning and then the meat will not be preserved. Mm. So y'all going to smell it. Neither will your corpse. Yeah, but I'll be embalmed for the extreme embalming. Mm. So you won't get the smell as much. I feel like that meat dress had to have been somewhat embalmed. No. I think I'm I'm, I think I have cured. Plan. I actually think I have plans cured the meats. day of your funeral. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm bu- I'm booked up. <laughs> I hope you know it's mid August. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've never been there, but I want it to be in Arizona. Love it. <laughs> the Florida Keys. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> So back to this uh, horribleness. Okay. The Cutchels <laughs> also sent Gallon a Bible in prison and in the courtroom at sentencing, they reminded him to quote, read it. Mm. Ugh. Yikes. Both Lindsay and Jason were described by loved ones as quote, warm, funny, faith driven and loved. Lindsay's last diary entry written just hours before her murder read quote, the sun is going down on the horizon and all I see is the beams shining on the cliff face. And I know that God is awesome. I look around and see his creation all around me. Well, at least they died peacefully, never seeing it coming. And they were appreciating their bountiful blessings together with a strong faith that they would remain together in heaven mm-hmm. at the right hand mm-hmm. of the father. Mm-hmm. And they died in it, a very beautiful quick. place. Probably their mm-hmm. last waking conscious moments were actually very peaceful and nice, mm-hmm. which is a lot mm-hmm. more than you could say about a lot of horrific murders. It's the only thing that That's is right. a silver lining in this entire situation, the only thing right, is that they didn't right. suffer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And so that is my case. So if you know someone that exhibits signs like Sean Michael Gallen, please, please alert someone that can get them professional help because mm-hmm. just trying to quote unquote protect them and keep them from consequences of their actions. It's not good. Is really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. We should do survivalist crimes too. Because oh. it is, it is a mm-hmm. slippery fucking slope from being like an actual practical like survivalist to being like oh, mm-hmm. you're going overboard. <laughs> oh yeah, and I am towing that line. There is nothing that I want more than I watch sometimes those survivalist <laughs> TV like reality shows, and I get it. <laughs> wow. Well, look at your medicine cabinet for fuck's sake. You're still for I'm life. S- I'm prepared start stocking up on insulin on my behalf i should you I should, should get bring some for me you home here. a 
bunch of African insulin. I bet it's way less mm-hmm. expensive than it is here. Ooh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You should just start a business. Should we take this offline? <laughs> <laughs> While we're discussing pharmaceutical fraud, let's hear a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Bayer. <laughs> <laughs> In these unusual times, Rothy's hopes to brighten your day with beautiful, sustainable products and content. And boy, do Mm -hmm. they ever. Um, They deliver on all of these promises. (laughs) Rothy's shoes are incredibly comfortable with zero break-in period thanks to their seamlessly knit design and with many chic styles to choose from. I have like six. Rothy's shoes are the perfect pair for any adventure, even if it's just like a stroll down the block Mm -hmm. with your dog. Mm-hmm. Which is precisely what I've been using my Rothy's for this week. Uh, well, honestly, the last several weeks, because I do have a dog and those are the only opportunities I have to step outdoors right now. Mm-hmm. And I want to do it in comfort and in style. So I have been strapping on my Rothy's and I'll pick like my different pair of the day to put on to just add a little pop of color into my mm-hmm. life. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so fun because Rothy's come in an ever changing array of colors, prints and patterns. And Rothy's are available in a range of styles. So I don't know about y'all, but online shopping has also been therapy for me during oh, these trying times. Big time. Yeah, and checking out Rothy's website every week and Mm -hmm. seeing the new styles that are available has Mm -hmm. been so fun. It gives me, like, an immediate endorphin rush. It's amazing. How about their new bags? I can't. I cannot. The bags are so cute. Yeah, they have bags now, people. Bags. Yeah, and... Again, this is another way to be obviously treating yourself, but like making a huge difference in the environment because these items are made out of plastic, recycled plastic water bottles. Mm -hmm. And Rothy's has at this point kept 50 million single-use plastic bottles out of landfills and transformed them into their signature thread, which is then knit into beautiful, sustainable products. And they are beautiful and they are so comfortable. Mm -hmm. So check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com forward slash gals. That is rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash G-A-L-S. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash gals today. Treat your feet and get a bag. Yeah. It's officially spring, which means it's officially spring cleaning time. I don't know about you, Mm -hmm. but I have cleaned every single cupboard and cabinet in my house. Yep. What else do we have to do? (laughs) Right. So, yes, (laughs) that's a thing, spring cleaning. And if you're not doing it, you should, especially with your underwear drawer. For real. End your relationship with toxic old tattered undies and move on to a membership with the softest undies to ever grace your nethers. A fresh Mm -hmm. new start for spring. Honestly, since being enlightened Mm -hmm. to be undies, I am never going back. Mm -mm. Ever. I have, I think... 15 or 20 pairs now. Mm -hmm. 
I have a membership. I have pajamas. I have loungewear. I have little bralettes. Mm-hmm. I have a full set of me undies. And I was resistant at first to the to the membership because I was like, do I really need this much underwear? And guess what? You do, mm-hmm. because I have been spring cleaning out my old, tattered, like, questionable fabric mm-hmm. underwear, and I, you think you you might have enough, and then you're like, oh, wait, mm-hmm. I actually don't. And again, why would you need an undie membership? Honestly, first and foremost, because it's fun. It's an easy way to give your future self a present each month, and oh my gosh, do we need that right now more than ever. Mm-hmm. So a membership with MeUndies is full of perks like site-wide savings, early access, free shipping, and new, ridiculously soft undies delivered to your door each month. It builds your undie collection and makes your adult life just a tad easier because more undies equals less laundry. Yes. It's science, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have the I have the membership for myself and my partner, so we get a delivery of a matching set of boxers and underwear every month. So cute. And Talk about spring cleaning. What is more fun than spring cleaning? Just in your comfortable underwear. You yeah. know? Now is the time. Get, Nobody's wearing I pants. So now sweaty. is the time no. to have cute undies. Oh my goodness, who is wearing pants? I yeah. get so sweaty when I'm cleaning too. So I love cleaning just in my underwear. And me undies is like my cleaning uniform. Mm-hmm. And me undies are made with micromodal fabric. And what the heck is that? Okay, I'll tell you. It's a magical, sustainable, soft as heck fabric made from trees. Yes, trees that make you bits feel like they're floating on a cloud. Mm-hmm. Accurate. And me undies are offered in a range of sizes from XS, XS to 4XL. Get at me. Mm-hmm. So me undies has a great offer for our listeners. For any first time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. So this is a no-brainer, folks, especially because they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. To get your 15% off your first order, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to meundies.com slash gals, G-A-L-S. That's meundies.com slash gals. Treat your nevers. Treat them. Get mouth-watering seasonal recipes with pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh makes cooking at home fun, easy, and affordable. And we're all doing quite a lot of cooking at home these days. Oh my goodness, yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, But that's good because HelloFresh's recipes are so delicious. And Mm -hmm. there's something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and family friendly recipes every week. Let me tell you that HelloFresh has literally been saving my life Mm -hmm. during the current climate. Mm -hmm. I know how to make, I think, three things out of my own brain. (laughs) And with us cooking so much at home, it's amazing to get these curated recipes that are ready to cook out of the box Mm -hmm. to teach us different skills. And it's keeping me out of the grocery store, which is really important right now anyway. And also just even during normal circumstances, the average trip to the grocery store like nationwide takes about 41 minutes for me. I swear it's like two hours Mm because I don't know what I'm doing. 
And that's over 35 hours a year if you go once a week, which most people do. Yeah, no So this saves you so much time and so much brain power when it comes to meal prepping. And HelloFresh helps you eat more sustainably. I know that food waste is a serious, serious issue right now with people kind of going to the grocery store and grabbing things off shelves that they think that they might need and then not actually having a recipe in mind to use that food Mm -hmm. for. And HelloFresh is such a great way to avoid that situation from happening. On top of that, the packaging that HelloFresh uses to ship your food is almost entirely made from recyclable and or already recycled content, which is incredible. You could feel good about that packaging. I usually go for like the 20 or 30 minute quick meals, but since uh, we're trapped at home, I have been broadening my horizons and I did one of the more, maybe a little bit more complicated, but certainly more time consuming recipes this week. And it was so relaxing and fun Mm. and so worth it. I made the chimichurri pork tenderloin. Oh, yes. Yeah, where you make like these honey roasted carrots, you make lime rice, and then they walk you through making your own chimichurri sauce. You're, you know, you're marinating the pork. Like pork is not super easy to learn how to cook and make it really juicy. So this was such a cool learning experience to follow these step-by-step instructions with photographs to walk you through it. And I made a perfect Mm. healthy pork dish. Sounds delicious. Amazing. I'm so hungry. All Mm -hmm. right. Go to HelloFresh.com forward slash GALS10, G-A-L-S-1-0, and use code GALS10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com forward slash GALS10 and use code GALS10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Treat yo kitchen. Treat it. Okay, so I went in a slightly different direction than Kenyon. Uh, Instead of like DIY in the weaponry. Murder weapon. Right. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking more about DIY after the fact with disposal. Oh, Lord. And so obviously we can't have this conversation without talking about Ed Gein. Yes, he's my favorite. This has been a long time coming. So I hope I do it justice. Ed Gein was a truly disgusting man who committed disgusting acts. But the particular Mm -hmm. expressions of his psychosis are captivating and disturbing on a level few have touched. Um, mm-hmm. Such characters as Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Norman Bates from Psycho, our favorite Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, just giants of horror that have given us a dark and nasty look into the abyss in powerful works of fiction, were all mm-hmm. inspired by the story of Ed Gein. Mm-hmm. His mother, who he loved way too much. <laughs> <laughs> I would also argue the book from... Hocus Pocus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I imagined the first time I heard the word Facebook. I was like, oh, yep. fucking gross. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ew. Let's just assume that was also inspired by Ed Gein and the upsetting arts and crafts projects that he got up to. <laughs> yes. Yes. Edward Theodore Gein had a rough childhood. A, an ever-repeating theme with deeply malignant psychosis seems to be a rough childhood, and he had it in mm-hmm. spades. 
First and probably most horrible for young Ed was that he was born in La Crosse County, Wisconsin. No. <laughs> oh, the horror. <laughs> You're just set up to fail. <laughs> Wisconsin, for those who don't know, is a smelly, popu- pl- smelly place populated with cows, mm-hmm. serial killers, the poo of cows and serial killers, <laughs> and et cetera, deer fuckers. Et cetera. And deer fuckers. Free Brian Hathaway. <laughs> Still my favorite <laughs> political bandwagon. Uh, yeah. Wait, more than I, bad, bothered about Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, God. No, I can't get behind <laughs> that. Strong That's a terrible movement. So, 1906 Wisconsin would have been hard on anyone, but Ed lucked mm. into a vicious alcoholic of a father, George Philip Keen, mm. and a tyrannical religious psycho of a mother, Augusta Wilhelmine. Ed uh. also had, I know, isn't that just a name? Mm. Ed also had an elder brother, Henry George Keen, who was five years his senior. The marriage between George and Augusta was very, very bitter and hateful. George had trouble finding work, and when he did would he, when he did work, he would drink it away and get himself fired in short order. So they were always kind of scrapping for money. George blew it at being a carpenter, a tanner, an insurance salesman, and a grocer. He tried a lot of things, did not do well in any of those arenas. He sold the mm-hmm. grocery and moved to a 155-acre farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin. So imagine what a place has to be like to be called Plainfield in the middle of Wisconsin. I've been there. It's pretty. I was just it. It's pretty. To differentiate it from all the other fields in Wisconsin, (laughs) it's plainer somehow. It's pretty if you like, you know, fields that are plain. (laughs) But on the bright side, now they were all alone on a farm to do chores all day and be totally consumed by cheerful tales of evil and immorality of man told all day, every day by their mother. Uplifting. Lovely. Yeah. Can't be any worse than being enrolled in the Hellman's Mayonnaise photo contest, which I apparently will (laughs) never forgive your mother for. (laughs) You bring that up a lot. Every episode. She made me the monster I am today. (laughs) It's her fault. Mayonnaise did this. Mayonnaise. (laughs) Augusta made sure the boys had as little contact with the outside world as possible, fearing that they would become corrupted. It seemed she feared the boys would become drunks like their father, but more than that, she feared their involvement with, quote, whores and harlots. And grilled cheese sandwiches. (sighs) Apparently. (laughs) As she viewed all women as, quote, naturally promiscuous instruments of the devil. So she's a feminist is what you're saying. Cool, right, lady. to be fair, she's totally right about that. <laughs> I bet she is amazing oh, right. at parties, and she's not wrong that I am a naturally promiscuous in- instrument of the devil. <laughs> Where the lie? <laughs> Where, yeah, no lie detected. But it still really fucked up her kids uh, to be told all of the feelings that they were having growing up were evil and immoral. She mm-hmm. consciously preached or continuously preached biblical tales featuring murder, divine punishment, and general nastiness of mankind. Ed Gein did well at school, despite his home life, being an avid reader and a bright kid. However, whenever the young Ed tried to make friends at school or do any socializing outside of the home, he would be punished and abused by his mother. Like, isolation was her jam. Mother was the only friend he was allowed. 
Oh my god. Bell, cool, healthy. Also, yeah, big Carrie, yeah. the plot line of Carrie. So so creepy. The shy and withdrawn young man was recalled by classmates and teachers for some odd behaviors, such as bursting into unexpected and seemingly random fits of laughter as if having a humorous conversation only he could hear. Which is oh, kind of interesting no. because I feel like this comes up, especially in kids and preteens, as like a behavioral psychosis symptom because um the fucking, joker yeah who am i thinking of though uh the other wisconsin Dahmer did stuff like this yeah oh, it's he? it's a th- mm-hmm. it's a real thing where like your synapses the like your wires are crossed in your brain so like laughter is like kind of a co- like if you're feeling sad or feeling any sort of emotion sometimes laughter comes out and it has nothing to right. do with humor Right. And it's so outside of the social norm that it's just like really creepy. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So he, needless to say, he was not a big hit socially. Mm. Never developing any real social skills, Ed and his brother never moved away from home and their lives just sort of kept on as they were. Chores and Old Testament horror stories like into their adulthood. Ugh. His dad was drunk and his mom was always there making sure no, quote, whores from town tried anything. You hear that, Amanda? Oh my, what? I, I want to know what happened in her childhood to make her this right? way. To be so oh, like wow. depraved and suppressed. Yeah. To take it out in that way. Like, what was going to, through her brain to make her do this to her children? It's really odd and well, really like, creepy. Uh, you know, at ter- before the turn of the century, late 18, you know, whenever in these rural towns. Yeah, he was born in 1906. The, well, think of his mother's life. Mm-hmm. She was probably the victim mm-hmm. of the same sort of behavior, and that goes unreported. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. unnoteworthy, you know? Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. It just kept cycling. Mm-hmm. So in April of mm-hmm. 1940, when Ed was 34, was a 34-year-old virgin, one had to assume, still living mm-hmm. at home under his mother's thumb, Ed's stable but oppressive life made a very swift transformation. First, his father died of heart failure at age 66, prompting Henry, Ed's older brother, and Ed to seek work with odd jobs in town because now they have to support the family. So the two young men were seen around their community as very reliable, easygoing farm boys, so they got lots of handyman jobs around town. But Ed also took many jobs in the unlikely role of a babysitter. No! Yes. Oh, you know what? Now a 34-year-old babysitter in rural Wisconsin. Virgin babysitter. There's something worse about a virgin babysitter. Who can't drive. You're a virgin (laughs) who can't drive. Oh, my God. I never knew this, and this is my favorite detail now. Mm -hmm. Imagine the parents. bell now, but I forgot. I know. I know. I mean, we're going to get to that, but he related more to children than adults and greatly enjoyed his time babysitting. He never did anything untoward to any of these children, but still, Mm -hmm. I can think of few things more shocking than looking back and realizing that your childhood babysitter was Ed Gein, the inspiration for Leatherface. He probably got along (laughs) with, I mean... I'm not surprised that he got along with children so well. He did because he he was socially stunted. They're much more, they're less judgmental. He likes to giggle. He He likes to, his, yeah, if he had like oddball, 
you know, outside of the social norm behavioral tendencies, they wouldn't, they wouldn't really notice or care. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like he's kind of like Sling Blade at this point. Yep. You know what I mean? And he's still pretty harmless. Yep. Mm hmm. So, Brother Henry. And also, like, his mother hasn't infiltrated his thoughts, making him assume that all children were like devilish and debased. Yeah. It's like adult women with like breasts. Those are the enemy. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's so rooted in like the sins of basically sex, puberty, and sex. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So Brother Henry, not allowed to leave the house, finally met a woman somehow that he connected with after all this time. Tinder. She was a sing- Yeah, probably. 1940s Tinder. <laughs> she was a single mother of two, and after some courtship, Henry began to plan to move in with her, but was really worried about leaving his brother alone in the house with their mother. Ed seemed to have a very unnatural attachment to her, and Henry was concerned, obviously, For example, when Henry would say something mean about their abusive, overbearing mom or criticize her in any way, like it could be mom didn't pass the butter when I asked her to, like so innocuous, Ed would Mm -hmm. get extremely defensive, upset, and like seem personally offended by those remarks. Mm -hmm. Pulling the two apart seemed impossible, but leaving them alone together in this nasty codependency also seemed really bad. Mm-hmm. So on May 16th, 1944, the brothers were clearing and burning marsh vegetation on their family property. The fire began to grow and the brothers made a mistake in their handling of it. And before they knew it was out of control, uh. the, the fire department arrived, battled the blaze and finally got it out. But something bad had happened during the chaos. Mm-hmm. Ed reported that he couldn't find his brother, Henry. No. Mm-hmm. A search party located Henry's body face down on the property. The fire was suspected at first, but the body was unburnt. Heart failure was later suspected, but the coroner later ruled that asphyxiation was the cause of death. <gasps> that we both have the- cases where the DIY killed the brother. Killed their killed their own brother. Yep. Well, isn't that odd how these little like trends will track? It's so yeah. weird. The police accepted the accident theory, but made but make no mistake, no police work was fucking done. There was no autopsy. They just kind mm-hmm. of like assessed the damage to Henry's body. And then that combined with Ed's account, it was like, okay. It was also the forties. To be a white man, am I right? Well, it was the forties in like on like a burn scene in a small town. There was probably very little forensic evidence anyway. And not really anyone in town willing to, like, go the extra mile to be super thorough. It's just like, all right, case and, closed. And also, Get like, home why, for dinner by 4.30 p.m. Yeah, why wouldn't you believe that, honestly? Totally. It was later yeah. reported and then published in a biography of Ed, of Ed Gein's life entitled Deviant by Harold Schechter that Henry did indeed have heavy bruising around his head and neck at the time of his death. Rumors swirled in the community that some suspect and some suspected Ed may have killed his brother, uh, though none could piece together a motive. Though now we know the deep, submerged, psychosexual, codependent nightmare that Ed and his mother had, and Henry's bad mouthing of mother or yeah. threatening to leave mother may have played a factor or to move out and potentially separate them. Like there's definitely motive there looking back on it. Thousand yeah. percent. They were probably mm-hmm. very codependent between the brothers, too. Likely. Yeah, and investigators now believe in a sort of Cain and Abel theory in Henry's death, but mm-hmm. I guess we'll never we'll never truly know. Mm-hmm. Now alone with his mother, the creepiness just fucking 
escalates and skyrockets. Shortly after Henry's death, possibly exacerbated by stress, Augusta was paralyzed by a stroke, which is very sad. Ed now waited on her hand and foot, devoting every minute of his life to his ailing mother, who had no mobility. I mean, the codependency was already so strong, and now he's caring for her like a doll. And it's like very unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. In 1945, Gein and his mother visited a man nearby to buy straw from him. The man, named Smith, found a dog on his property and began to beat the dog. As you no. do when you find mm-hmm. a dog. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, a woman inside God. the home emerged and tried to get him to stop, but the man beat the dog to death. Gein recounted later that his mother was infinitely more upset by learning that a woman, not his wife, was living with him. Quote, Smith's harlot was the sin, not the murder of an innocent animal. Okay. Yeah. Little so, glimpse into her psychology mm. there. Seriously. Augusta was a, mm. a mess. Augusta had a Piece second. Yeah, she was. But she had a second stroke, declined rapidly, and died on December 29th of 1945, leaving Ed totally devastated and completely and utterly alone after years of isolation and complete emotional dependence on his mother. His biography described him as having, quote, lost his only friend in one true love. Oh. Yeah. And he... It's so gross, but he was absolutely alone in the world now. With absolutely no social services, nothing. None. So Gein boarded up the rooms frequented by his mother, entombing them. The rest of the house he rarely cleaned and began uh, to clutter with odds and ends, with Ed living in a tiny room next to the kitchen. Gein started gravitating toward violent pulp comics, especially ones featuring cannibals or Nazis. Great combo. Mm, Good. I know, such such a fucking bad combo. Healthy. Cannibal Nazis, actually kind of a great combo. I mean, I think that movie's been done and I am (laughs) here for it. It's definitely a movie. A decade Mm -hmm. passed, the loneliness, underlying madness, obsession with his mother, and subliminated sexual desires lead lead Gein to a series of personal artistic breakthroughs that will live forever in our collective nightmares. Uh, I Mm -hmm. love them so much. This is my jam. Here we go. Mm Mm-hmm. So the Plainfield ghoul had been frequenting local cemeteries for materials soon after his mother's death, and this very handy man found outlets for the darkness inside him. Was that his nickname mm-hmm. then, the Plainfield ghoul? I'm not sure mm-hmm. if that was his he nickname had a lot of always. Nicknames. Yeah, he had a lot, but that came up. Ugh, and I, I love, love a good it. ghoul. Me too. Ed made friends with a 16-year-old whose parents were friends of Gein's, and the two went to ball games and movies together. This is back when, like, a grown-ass man and a 16-year-old boy could be friends without any Amber Alerts, like, being issued. Oh, my God. It was the good just, old days. The good old days. Back to Sling Blade, though. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. The boy reported that Gein had, quote, shrunken heads in his house, Lucky. which Gein explained away as relics of the Philippines brought back after World War II. Uh, this is not what these were. <laughs> I will tell you that right Which now. was inaccurate. This was a yeah. convenient excuse. Sadly. Not true. Yeah. Do not, do not for one minute believe that that's what it was. Because it was not. Sadly, on November 16th, 1957, Ed Gein added a new type of material to his crafting repertoire. Hmm. Plainfield Hardware Store's owner, Bernice Warden, disappeared. Mm -hmm. The hardware store's truck was missing. 
And despite the store being closed and Bernice Warden's own son, Deputy Sheriff Frank Warden, went to investigate only to find the store's cash register open and bloodstains spattered on the floor. You don't want to abduct and murder the sheriff's mom. No. Frank said Ed Gein had been in the store the night before and a receipt for a gallon of antifreeze was the mm. last like thing written in the hardware store's ledgers before mm. Bernice disappeared. Without much fuss, Gein was arrested at a grocery store and taken into custody while the Wash Washara Sheriff's Department went to Ed Gein's farm and began to search. Does that imply that Ed Gein purchased the gallon of antifreeze? Yes, it okay. does. Okay. To give you an idea of how utterly mind-shattering what they found in his home was, during his initial... You can't even imagine. Like, it's about to get bonkers. I can imagine. I Google During it. his initial interrogation and confession, Art Schley, a police officer who had been on the scene... Hey, so, Art! <laughs> hey, Art! Arts and craft! DIY art! <laughs> was so traumatized that he flew into a frenzy over what he'd seen on the farm and attacked Gein and slammed his head repeatedly into a brick wall upon, like, first sight of okay. him. Okay. At I- which point Ed Gein said, no, don't break my vase. Right? I'm saving <laughs> it for later. Uh, <laughs> like, I get my it, lamp. but also be a professional. Don't fucking do that. Yeah, but, I mean, he did see some horror. I know, but... Gein's first confession was, of course, ruled inadmissible because mostly because of this attack. This police officer, Art Schley, was so disturbed and filled with such post-traumatic stress and and guilt on getting Gein's confession thrown out that he died of heart failure at age 43 before Ed's trial. Like, he literally stressed himself to death. Quote, he was a victim of Ed Gein, a friend of Art said later, as sure as if he had been butchered by him. On the property, police discovered the body of Bernice Warden. The corpse was in a shed hanging upside down from its ankles from a crossbar, quote, dressed out like a deer. Like how you cut it open and Uh, get the meats and stuff and get the organs out, Uh, which is about the worst sentence I've ever read. She had been shot and killed with a 22 caliber rifle, and thankfully all the mutilations had occurred post-mortem. That's our only fucking silver lining. In fact, it was discovered that Mr. Green had gotten creative with a lot of dead people. Searching the property, authorities discovered a whole craft show exhibition of utterly ghoulish shit in the cluttered home. A state fair's worth. Yep. Here are some of the blue ribbon winners. (laughs) A wastebasket made from human skin. Jealous. Mm -hmm. Human bowels had been, like, made into bowls. What? Oh, hum- play on words. Mm-hmm. Wow. Bowel bowls. Bowel bowls. Human Wasn't it their legs. skulls? Whatever. It's, we'll get to it. Just calm down. Human legs had been hollowed out into human skin leggings. <gasps> Jealous. Okay. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, fa- the famous lampshade made from the stretched skin of a human mm-hmm. face. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Four loose noses. Five <laughs> golden rings <laughs> for A pair of lips sewn to his window shade Drawstrings, skulls have been affixed to his bed post Ooh. A human skin corset from shoulders to waist 
I can't sing this part. It makes no, me sad. Yes. Bernice <laughs> Warden's head in a burlap sack. Oh, no. Oh. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag by the stove. Masks made from the skin of women's faces that Gein wore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The remains of Gein's first victim, Mary Hogan, her face in a paper bag and her skull in a box. Nine vulvas in a shoebox. <laughs> God. Oh my god. We need to actually write this. We do need to write this. For a Christmas episode. Oh god, never Another mind. really famous one is the belt made from female human nipples positioned like leather studs. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the shrunken heads the boy had reported were found to be human face skin carefully removed. And then obviously it's not attached to its blood source anymore, so it gets all wrinkled up. And so it was, a, it was a shrunken head. That's how they shrink head. That's what a shrunken head is. It's just they not from do. They World War the, II. They remove the skin but maintain like the scalp and then a true shrunken head is made by like filling it with hot sand and there's like a long process. But this sounds like it was just the face. Oh, that okay. then had been removed and shriveled up. And actually, there is a photo on the drive. So it's not course. it's not the head skin sans skull. It's just the face. It's just a face that's been peeled off. Oh, maybe I haven't put mm. these photos on the drive yet. But there is like a display of a face in like a little frame. And I think that could have easily been what this boy was referring to. Sorry, I just burped because this case is crazy. I just have so I just have so many things to say. Also, I mean, was was um Bernice the first victim to that anyone noticed had gone missing? I believe so. Like that she was the first in town. And, like, he had done some grave robbing mm-hmm. to get he, some of these. Yeah, because he, he did had like, kill people. F- he had, like, tw- like, 12 or 15, like, different women in there, didn't he? Yeah. He, he escalated, but, yeah, some of it was body snatching and some of it was murder. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we're about to kind of cover that right now. So after the death of his mother, Gein, in a desperate, deranged attempt to replace her, had begun crafting a woman's suit there we go. out of skin pilfered from a nearby cemetery. Hence he said the, that, uh, the, like, the corset and things like yeah. that he wouldn't be wearing and the leggings. Those weren't Correct. for him to wear. It was just like a... No. It was mm-hmm. a suit. He was Frankenstein's monstering his mom his back. His mother. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. He said that he planned to become his mother. Oh, I guess he did want to literally crawl into her skin. Interesting. I mean, I didn't does, realize that. That does make sense. Yeah. Well, it's like from Silence of the Lambs. What's his yeah, name? Yeah, that's true. Well, Materials- and also like, sorry, but also like the, the, the very fact that he made it hollow like a corset and leggings versus just a torso and just legs would suggest right. that he wants to like wear it at some point. Wear it. Yeah, you're yeah. right. He could have he could have just Moskvind it and made a little right. doll for tea parties, but, uh-huh. but he didn't. A little Norman Bates situation, but he wanted like an outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wanted to crawl back into his mother's womb. An ensemble. Ooh. An ensemble. A mummy ensemble. <laughs> A mummy ensemble. (laughs) Materials for this guy who liked to make his own stuff were gathered during some 40-odd trips to graveyards for supplies. He was accused of having sex with the corpses, but he denied this, saying that the body smelled too bad. Though it's hard to imagine a man... had sex. Yeah. Though it's hard to imagine a man who made an ear shoe, which uh, this thing is... Unbelievable. Mm. It's literally like a stiletto heel that very clearly has a human ear on it. What? Put Getting all squeamish about corpse fragrance. I will. 
Gein was pretty detached from reality at this point. During his mental health assessment, he didn't seem to be able to determine if killing Bernice had been intentional or an in, or an accident, saying he was unsure if he shot her on purpose and said that while inspecting a gun he uh, intended to buy at the hardware store, he had been loading a bullet into it when it discharged. I don't uh-huh. really buy it. But that he lost memory of the events that followed. How convenient. Mm-hmm. He admitted to murdering Bernice Warden and Mary Hogan, but was only tried for Ho- Hogan, citing costs to the town to take him to trial. Wow, that's well, bizarre. Mm-hmm. He was I mean, found. They to be, knew they were going to put him away forever. Exactly. So I think I actually think that this is still pretty common practice, especially mm-hmm. in smaller town trials. And back to the sexuality thing, like the sex thing, having sex with these bodies. I can. Mm-hmm. I can. I don't. I can believe that he did not have sex with them just because mm-hmm. the manifestation of like the fact that he was trying to build his his mother suit or whatever the fuck mm-hmm, he yeah. he didn't at no point did he sexualize his mother. He was apparently you know emotionally stunted so I kind of think that maybe he'd never had like sexuality sexual yeah. thoughts at all. It's like possible. Right. Nothing before this that's that's recorded anyway has suggests some sort of sexual sexual component. Let's right. just say I wouldn't be surprised either way. I wouldn't be surprised, but I just given what we know, I I think that it's so twisted and fucked up, but I don't think that sex was I mean, a I kind of believe him if he says he didn't have sex with them, but I I right. also wouldn't be surprised if he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was found to be mentally insane and stood trial without a jury at the request of his defense and was committed to Central State Mental Hospital for the criminally insane where he had a cell between basically Penguin and the Riddler. Gein spent the rest of his life there until dying of cancer. Ed Gein had an undeniable effect on the world, most Mm -hmm. definitely for the worse. This sad, lonely man's creations led to runs on graveyards to ensure the security of loved ones, like, remains and rattled the country to its core. Because he Mm. did get most, like, he he admitted to killing two women. It's very possible he killed more but can't be connected to others. And he Mm. got most of his materials by grave digging. Yeah. Yeah, but they had already, I mean, grave robbing and grave digging is nothing new, really. No, I know, but I think when you... What they're saying here is that because this was so sensationalized in the media, people were like, holy shit, I don't want some monster digging up my Making mother's a grave out of to my make a aunt. nipple belt. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just was even more like, nope. So people were... It reinvigorated really, that, that paradigm. Yeah. Right. You're not stealing a brooch. You're right. making heels out of people's ears. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, Ed Gein, he killed, as far as we know, only two women by rifle with them suffering presumably very little. It sounds like they were shot and killed pretty suddenly without really seeing it coming. And then all of the Mm -hmm. mutilation happened after the fact. But his really bonkers, macabre expressionism after the fact has made him one of the most thought about murderers in history, even though he doesn't have the same like body count as just, most famous serial killers. His creations were so special. So special. Well, and also like mm-hmm. violence and mayhem and murder were not his primary motivation. It was like preservation on it, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And tinkering. It was just filling his time. It was, was tinkering. was so deeply lonely. As my mother yeah. would say, fiddle fucking. Fiddle fucking. Yeah. <laughs> he was just fiddle and fucking honestly, in the garage. 
Because of his isolation and his obsession with his mother and like very little outside of his life fulfilling his time, this last bit is what confuses me almost the most. It says here, we, on the other hand, seem to have had much less of an effect on Ed Gein. When Ed learned that his house of deeply upsetting but undeniably creative horrors was burned down in a suspected arson while he was being detained, and it still had, like, a ton of his creations inside of it because they were still, Mm -hmm. like, analyzing this crime scene, Mm -hmm. he simply shrugged and said, just as well. Like, did not have a visceral reaction to Mm -hmm. what he had been creating all these years, the fact that he was rebuilding his mother, who he loved so much, and that she had died. It didn't bring up any, like, new, oh, now it's like my mother is dying all over again. Like, I would have suspected him to have a connection to these items. Yeah, his sense of connection, of of attachment and detachment are very odd. weird. Yeah. Maybe because he never completed the mother suit. Maybe. And knew that he would never be able to wear it. But, he, so, but the mother suit wasn't his only thing. He had all sorts of doodads. He had like loose yeah. lips and the skull bed. And but, the a lot of, but a lot of them noses. were... A lot, a lot of them were doodads. Like a lot of it Nine was... Nine vulvas in a shoebox. They were, they were doodads though. Honest doodads. Mm-hmm. Tchotchkes. Yep. And Chachkis. some of his the garbage uh, I, can. Yep, I have updated the drive, which will be on the blog with some yes. photos, so you can see like the jar with the little face on it. There's a collage of the nipple belt, a pair of gloves that he'd made. Yeah, um, human skull bowls. Yep, a cut skull. Ooh, but there's other gloves. bowls that he made. Yeah, but it's very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. But the, how this little how this face is displayed, I could see somebody being like, "Oh, that's a shrunken head," but it's really just a face mounted yeah, on its yeah. own neck. You're right. Yeah, it is different a than a shrunken head. Yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Anyway, yeah. that is my case. I am so well, fucking glad that we finally got to Ed Gein. I have I know. been waiting. We try to shy away from the more famous cases, and I've done a couple in the last recording sessions we've had and I'm not sure what order we're in so I'm not going to say anything but it is kind of fun to go back over some of these cases even though Mm -hmm. we know them pretty well Mm -hmm. because they are just fascinating to pick apart they're so fun to talk about them over a couple bottles of wine (laughs) they're the big cases for a reason you know they really are they're truly fascinating so thank you all right. Uh, also, yeah. special thanks this week to our fan picker, Shan Nelson. Shan Nelson. Mm. You are, you out Shan everyone else. We stan Shan. Total uh-huh. stan. Thank you also to Sam Hall. We also stan Sam. We're going to mm. put you in the Hall of Fame, Sam. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Mm. Thank you to Morgan Ferguson. Uh, Fergie Ferg, my lovely lady lump. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you to Nailed Taylor Poxi. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to apply an epoxy to this DIY ooh, craft To this project. nipple belt. Yeah. This nipple belt. Yeah. So it withstands the test of time. The yeah. test of tail. The test of tail. <laughs> Oh, I bet Taylor is glad we've associated that image with their name. 
You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I am also. going to tailor oh, this human suit to myself physically. <laughs> okay. My perfect proportions. Go ahead, Lucy. Uh, thank you also to Kate Miller. Uh, we don't hate you, Kate. Week, week, yeah. Thank you to Savannah <laughs> Fields. I hope you don't hail from Plainfields, Wisconsin. You're no yeah. And instead, you're somewhere in the Savannah, sitting on your front porch, drinking <laughs> sweet tea. Can we also note that Savannah Fields, just like the same word. Twice. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I just sneezed. Sorry about that. Thank you to Karen Clark. Hmm. Um, we want to clean your Clarks. Yeah. We, <laughs> we are just blaring out the message of our love for you. We want to speak to your manager, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Marissa Diamond. You sure are a diamond in the rough. And thank you, you for having person- that last name. Is basically mm-hmm. your Missy Diamond themed bachelorette. Oh party. yeah, Missy Diamond. Yes, my mm-hmm. bachelorette party was Missy Elliott, Di- uh, Neil Diamond themed. So it's, thank you for embodying that. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Jamie Garman. I'm gonna put your address in my Garmin <laughs> GPS <laughs> and make my Navigate. way to your place. Yeah, <laughs> that's creepy as shit. <laughs> Thank you to Julia Kravitz. Yes. I want to get a massive oversized scarf and wrap you in yep. it yep. with <laughs> consent. <laughs> Thank you to Kristen Madrano for your increase from 2 to $5 a month. Friendly reminder, you can do that. Uh, mm. Let's not draw it out. And move on to the next name. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Aura Wood, who is kicking off our $10 a month tier. And you would be receiving a fucking mm-hmm. patriarchy wine glass in the mail if you were also giving $10 a month on our Patreon. We like your oh, Aura, Aura Wood. Yeah, yeah. Thank you to Laura Dolan. We are going to be doling out a fucking patriarchy wine glass to you as well. Get it. Oh my god, I just took a sip away. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Julia Stavel or Stavale. I, like I, uh, I'm, I am not mentally stable right now because I've had a lot of wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, amazing. And we've got another Julia. Julia Hernandez. Julia. Julia. Childs. <laughs> Julia and Julia. are good. <laughs> Thank you to Shanaque Young, who wants to shout out their daughter, Patience Bullion, who is their gateway gal. Um, Mm. I, when making soup, I often lose my patience, but I'm glad (laughs) that you took the time to listen to us. Yes. Mm. Patience and their mother are big fans. They keep us young. And thank you for messaging me, Shanaque. Thank you also to Katie Coster. We're costering you $10 a month, and we're very grateful. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, And thank you, Stephanie Juarez, who increased their donation from $5 to $10 a month. Uh, I don't know where you are, but we appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Lucy Trentum, who increased Mm. their pledge from $2 to $10 a month. Going to get that FP wine glass. Trentum? 
hardly know them. There we go. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope people don't call you Kenyan all the time, Lucy. Oh, <laughs> good call. <laughs> Actually, Kenyan has, or yeah, Kenyan's been mistaken for Amanda more often than not lately. <laughs> it's so yeah. weird. What the hell? So bizarre. It's Get I'm your shit together, Twitter. <laughs> Thank you also to Stacy Strickland. We're strictly grateful for you, Stacy. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your increase from five to ten bucks. And kicking off our trash queen or king or neither, neither or both tier is Chris Volpe. Bye. I won't be coming up with a better pun than this. Volpsy Daisy. Volpsy Daisy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Nancy Knapp. It is almost 11 p.m. and I am ready for a nap. Yep. (laughs) And for our once-off donations, we got Hannah Kate, who generously gave a $25 once-off donation. I have a sneaking suspicion that Hannah thought that would buy her a fan pick episode, and unfortunately, that's not the case. So, Hannah... You have Get our at us if you have questions. Utmost <laughs> gratitude and send us an email if you got any questions. <laughs> Hannah, Hannah, banana. And finally, Jennifer McLaren also gave a $25 once off and is a fellow Drop Dead Gorgeous fan. Nice. So you, you know what, Jennifer? That's why we Lutherans use great Kool Aid for the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Just proves too mm-hmm. tempting for some of them. Giving us $25 did prove too tempting for some of them. <laughs> You'd think they'd make the parking lot of America to go with the model model of America. All right, we love you all. We'll talk to you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Do you ever feel like what you need in your life is a 26-year-old woman with bipolar and an overinflated sense of self to talk to you every single day from her bedroom? If you do, then I have the podcast for you. It's called the Rosie Cast. R-O-S-Y Cast. That's right, I've seen cheer. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, Avril Lavigne was killed in 2003 and replaced with a woman named Melissa.